Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Carrie Veracchio is a cancer survivor and caregiver, motivational speaker, published author, podcast host, and certified transformation, forgiveness, and REBT coach. She is the founder of the Radical Empowerment Method, a program designed to walk people through the exact method she herself used to move from a life of feeling invisible to a life of empowered success and action. I love it. I love it. <laughs> thank Carrie, you. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me here. I've been looking forward to it. Well, I am so thrilled and we cannot forget to learn a little bit more about, about the forgiveness uh, coach part. Take us back to the very beginning of your cancer journey. Tell us what happened. My personal cancer journey began this past December and it's very, very recent. And because of a family history of colorectal cancer, I'd been being screened since I was 35 years old for colon cancer and very regularly. And my last colonoscopy was clear. So this time I let busyness get in the way. I rescheduled it multiple times <laughs> and finally ended up in December having this colonoscopy. And the doctor called my husband, said, there's one teeny polyp in the cecum, doesn't look like anything. We're going to test it. And December 13th, 8 p.m. at night. So, right, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, you never forget where you were, what you were wearing, what you were doing, what day it was, what time it was. You don't, it's etched in your memory forever. 8 p.m., December 13th, my husband and I were decorating the Christmas tree and my phone rang, unknown number. And I thought, hmm, I don't know, I should pick that up. And I did, which I don't normally. <laughs> if it doesn't say who's calling, I'm like, eh, no, but I did. And it was my surgeon. And he said, so that little polyp ended up being invasive cancer. And I just remember almost dropping the phone, going into my husband who was just putting stuff on the tree. And I said, so I have cancer. And he just, he just sat on the couch and stared at me. Like neither one of us knew what to say. Neither one of us knew. We were just, and then he looked at me and he said, that's impossible. You have gotten screened. You've changed your lifestyle. You eat the healthiest foods I've ever seen anyone eat. You drink water. You work out every day. This is impossible. But it wasn't. And that was the beginning of, of the journey to where I am now with surgeries. And I thankfully, it was very, very early. And I didn't need the chemo and radiation that my brother and my mom had gone through. But it was still a, just a, as you know, it's a life-changing moment. And you never look at life the same, ever. Yeah. For all three of you, was it colon cancer? Yes. Um, yes. My mother's sister also passed from colon cancer and her aunt. My brother was 48. My mother was in her 50s, about my age, when her first diagnosis of colorectal cancer came. Because of all of that, they recommended genetic testing. And I did test positive for Lynch syndrome. I had my mother tested immediately. She was living with us. She lived with us for three years. 
and she tested positive for Lynch syndrome. I was able to convince her to go back in for a colonoscopy, which a doctor had told her four years previously, you never have to have another colonoscopy. And it cost, it cost her her life. Um, I took her in in May for a colonoscopy. They found two massive tumors in her colon and she passed away in my arms 19 days later. So cancer has been this, this thread through my family and I'm on a journey to break the cycle. Yeah. Oh, Carrie, I'm so sorry about your mother. I just got Thank chills. Um, yeah, I miss oh her. My, oh my goodness. And I miss was her this this year that she yes. passed? Yeah. Yep. Just this oh, past May. Goodness. Yeah. Wow. Had you prior to, to this, had you ever heard of Lynch syndrome? No, I never, never knew it was a thing. And now I understand that about one in 225 or 50 people have it. And 95% of the people with it don't know that they're carrying this gene mutation. And I am using my voice however I can to spread the word. And I mean, it's a simple, they give you a test tube and you spit into it. It's so easy, the test to find out if you have this through your family and it can save so many lives. If we'd known about this years ago, my brother, my mom, her sister, I mean, they'd all still probably be here. And it's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that so many people don't know. So you lost your brother too? Yes. He was 48 years old. Yeah. Oh, Carrie. Oh yeah. my goodness. Do yes. you, you have children? If so, are, do you plan to get them tested or do they want to be tested? Yes, I have four children and they are all in the process of being tested now. Yeah. The oldest has gotten her diagnosis, her, I'm sorry, her results and hers was clear. So I'm just, I'm praying so hard that it stopped with me that we're done. What do you know about this particular gene and why it's carried in families? What have you learned? I have learned... Well, I've learned, uh, I mean, obviously when I, well, I shouldn't say obviously, but the way I am, when I got the diagnosis, I was on Google immediately looking up everything. <laughs> Dr. Google. <laughs> Dr. Google. <laughs> and then I scheduled an appointment also with a genetic counselor and she was much better than Google at calming my fear of what, what is exactly, am I going to die of cancer this year? What's, what's going to happen to me and my family? So I've learned what the cancers are that are that are associated with Lynch syndrome and then digging deeper into, I mean, it's basically Dr. Lynch, it's, it's basically very recent that they've discovered this gene mutate, this gene mutation. Mine, there are four genes in Lynch syndrome and mine is the MLH1 gene. So I'm at a very increased risk of colon cancer, uterine, ovarian, brain cancer. Those are the main ones for men. It's prostate cancer. There are three other Lynch syndrome genes. There is no way to cure it. There is no way to prevent it other than not having children. So wow. I have a 50% chance of having passed it on to my children. My mother had a 50% chance. Her mother had a 50% chance. We've been able to follow this back to see where it really came from. And I've had people ask me, well, if you knew, if you knew that you had this gene, would you have had kids? And that's a really tough question. I'm really glad I didn't know when I was having children because I think it probably would have made me think twice about passing this gene mutation on. 
At the same time, I would never want to not have my four children. So it's, it's a, that's a tough one because you know, 50%, that's a, it's good odds that you're going to pass it on to your family. That's an interesting point. I never thought about it that way. Um, There's, there's something to be said in the not knowing. Yes. Um, And we're moving in that direction where genetic testing is probably going to become a normal standard of care and eventually covered by insurance. But I know many people who have no desire whatsoever to know. Yes. Um, My other brother is in that. He just did not want to know, did not want to be tested. Mm -hmm. And he has never had any cancer to date? No, he had one scan, one uh, colon scan that they called him back in for a second one because they thought something looked suspicious, but he ended up being fine. And he could be the one of my mom's three children that did not receive the receive the gene mutation, but he really just did not want to know. And we've lost so much as a family. And so I, I really do get it. We've just, it's just me and him left. And that's oh. a hard, that's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. How was your experience as a caregiver different from your experience as a patient? I'm a good patient. <laughs> <You're>... <laughs> I'm a good patient. <laughs> I just take to myself and I, I mean, I love it when people come to visit and I'm also fine if nobody comes to visit. I just, I take things in stride and I, I know that I inherited that from really from both of my parents, but my dad, especially you just take what's given to you and you play those cards to the best of your ability. And, and my brother helping care for my brother, his cancer was stage four when they found it. He was, he was so, he was sick already when they discovered it. They had, they treated him for so many other things because he was too young to have a colonoscopy. And I mean, he was, he was, he died when he was 48. So he was 45 when he was diagnosed and, and helping to care for him was, he was, he was a great patient too. He was amazing. My brother taught me how to live while he was dying. It's been 12 years since we lost him. And he just, he never missed any part of life, even while he went through chemo and radiation. He really taught me how to embrace life and how precious life is. I would say then the difference with caring for myself, I could kind of almost block it out and do what I needed to do, but almost convince myself it wasn't really happening at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense, but I could, I could block it when in caring for my brother and then Fast forward to caring for my mother this past May and and being there as she passed in my arms, it was right in my face. And so the the difference of I'd rather have it myself any day than ever see another one of my loved ones go through that battle of cancer. It was it it was just in, unless you've done it, you can't you can't feel how incredibly shattering it is to your heart to see them, to see them struggle, to breathe, struggle, to eat, struggle, to walk, struggle, to even say, I say the words, I love you. I would, I would take that on myself any day rather than have anyone else go through it. You said that so eloquently and, um, my sister died in my arms from stage four liver cancer and I had raised her as my child. Mm. The only way I can comfort myself is that I know I gave her a good death. 
And because I went against doctor's orders and there was all this other stuff going on, but I was able to get her home and she died very peacefully in her bed, Mm. surrounded by people who loved her. Yes. But I agree with you. And I've heard many patients say that they feel like caregivers have a worse experience because as a patient, you are just focused on getting well. That's it. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But like you said it, it, it. as a caregiver, it's just in your face. Yes. It's, and you just want to trade places yeah. with the person. Oh. Did you find any support mm-hmm. as a caregiver? Yes. Um, especially with my mom. So with my brother, with my, with my oldest brother, there was my other brother and my mom and my dad, we were, there were so many of us involved in that. Sometimes my husband and I would go to my brother's house. His name was Bill, and we'd spend the night there. And we would watch we would watch chick flicks, which I was never allowed to tell anybody that my brother <laughs> loved chick flicks. <laughs> but he's okay with it. Now. Lifetime? Are we talking lifetime movie? <laughs> oh, talking lifetime movie? Chick yeah. Flicks? Oh yeah, and serendipity, and oh my gosh, we just he he loved them, and he was like, if you tell anyone, I swear I'll take you with me when I go. <laughs> But there were so many of us. And so we could relieve each other um, Mm -hmm. as a family. We didn't really need to ask for outside help. And because we were all there and we just, everybody came together. We were all there around his bed as he passed away. And we all got to tell him we loved him. It was, it was, it was really quite beautiful. And with my mom, my mom had moved in with my husband and me. My other brother lives six and a half hours away and so my husband and I were were caring for my mom. And so when she was diagnosed and I I brought her home from the hospital as well and and on hospice and we cared for her the two of us. And it was a short amount of time, but I remember the hospice worker, the hospice uh, social worker coming in and saying, "Look, if you need help, you ask for it. If you need to shower, you take a shower. When it's time to eat, you eat because you're going to wear yourself down if you are hovering over your mother." She, when she passes, if she wants you there, you will be there. Yeah. And I just, I really hung on to those words and we started to ask and my mother-in-law would come over, friends would come in, our kids would come in and they would say, okay, go take a shower. Or I felt so blessed to be so surrounded. And I, I am not naive enough to believe that everyone has that support system. And I, my heart grieves for those who are, are all alone through this. It's, I can't even imagine. I can't imagine. I want to circle back to your cancer journey. You mentioned okay. you did not need radiation or chemotherapy. No. So tell us what procedures you had, if any, and, yeah. and now what does that post-operative care look like as a, as a now cancer survivor? It was a hemicolectomy. So they took out the cecum and the ascending of my colon. And I did go back in for a second colonoscopy after they found the cancer and they found more cancer on that. They actually biopsied the colon wall in the ascending colon. And that's why they decided though the cancer was in the cecum to take the ascending. And then on the biopsy of what was after surgery, they found even more cancer. So it was a good decision on the surgeon's part to take more than really what they said they needed to. It was my choice to let them take one part or all. And I just said, take it all. I've seen two. I had that point had seen my brother suffer so much. And I, 
it's not that I felt like, oh, I don't want to suffer like that. But what I felt was like, I'm not done. I have, I have so much more I want to do. <laughs> there are so many more stages I want to speak on and places I want to go. I don't want to be done. So we did a, a right hemicolectomy. And then since then, it's been only a change in getting used to the way my body digests food. So I really feel, I said to my aunt one time who is, she is now suff, uh, fighting and suffering, I was going to say suffering, and she is from ovarian cancer, all part of the Lynch syndrome through our family. And her partner years ago went through um, stage 3B breast cancer. I think I have that right, but it was very, it was advanced. And I was saying to both of them, I feel like, like, like I gypped cancer, like, because they found it so early. And she said to me, they both said to me, cancer is cancer. It affects you. Yeah. It affects you. So the journey since then with, with the, with the hemicolectomy, learning to digest food again, there are things that I really can't eat. I mean, don't, I'm not drinking a glass of milk ever again in my life. It just, <laughs> it just won't digest right. There's just not enough of that part of my large intestine that is responsible for digesting those to do it correctly. That's really been the biggest part. And it's, I don't, I tell my clients all the time, do not compare yourselves to others. My cancer journey is different. My cancer journey is different. I do have more surgeries because of the Lynch syndrome. I have one coming up at the end of this month to remove my ovaries and perhaps the rest of my large intestine, depending on, you know, depending on what they find in tests at the end of this month. So I would say that's the continuation of my journey is multiple tests and scans every year for the rest of my life. I don't know who said this, but I want to say Mark Twain, but I could be wrong. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Yes. And it's so true. It is so true. And it's and I agree. So Cancer's cancer. Yeah. yeah. Period. It, it just is. Yes. What was, let's go negative first. What was okay. your worst moment? And I'll let you choose whether you want to be, talk about being a caregiver or a patient. What was your okay. worst moment? I'll do both as a caregiver, the worst moments for both my, my brother and my mom were towards the end of their lives when we were able to get them to the commode, but unable to get them off. And they just had no strength. And both of them at one point collapsed against, um, with my brother, it was really against all of us. And with my mom, it was just me and she, her, you know, their words were, why is this happening to me? that was, <laughs> that was so hard. Yeah. I just, because I had no answer. I had no answer. It makes me more determined to use my voice to help people understand that there is hope and we can keep going. And I want people to really understand that there, there is hope on the other side of grief. For me, I'm going to lighten it up because my worst moment for me <laughs> as the cancer patient after my right hemicolectomy. <laughs> so the night, the two days before my surgery, the doctor had me on, you know, he's clearing my colon because he's going to be cutting pieces out of it. So, he, so he's clearing my colon, colon, but I guess not all of it came out. So the day after my surgery, they got me up to walk and I'm in the hall with, you know, the catheter's still in, you're still sore, all this stuff. And all I've got on is my little hospital gown. Everybody's masked up. 
thankfully. <laughs> I'm just walking down the hallway and I just stopped and I looked at the nurse who was a male nurse. He was so tall and I'm five one, you know, I looked up way up at him and, and I said, we have a problem. And he said, what's the problem? And I said, I have no control. And apparently it didn't all come out. And he looked down on the floor and there's just a pile. Oh <laughs> no. It was a pile of <laughs> loose poo. And I just stood there like, this has got to be the lowest moment. Of <laughs> and he's trying to tell me it happens to everybody. And I knew he was lying. <laughs> I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) It is funny. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, (laughs) Best moment. What was your best moment? Best moment as a caregiver was being a caregiver. All of it. Being, being able to be there, having, having a life that allowed me to be there with both of them was the best moment. And hearing those, I love yous and having the opportunity to say goodbye, because not everybody gets that. You know, when accidents and massive heart attacks and stuff and your loved one is gone and I got to say goodbye, I got to hold them and say goodbye, even with my dad. I just, that was the best moment. Um, For me, for me, I this is going to sound odd, but the best moment of my cancer journey was finding out I had Lynch syndrome because it put all the pieces together. And we finally, after decades of grief, had an answer. And that was an empowering moment for me because I realized that we could change things going forward and, and we weren't slaves to this disease anymore. And we could start taking steps to find it earlier and not lose more people. That makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, really, really does. I mean, mm-hmm. knowledge is power. And like you it said, is. it actually connected everything for you. Finally, yes. finally. What is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey as a, as a patient? As a patient, the one thing I wish I'd known was that it was never like the thought of cancer was never going to leave my head. I thought you survived and you moved on, but it's always there. And it's always there. And I've learned, I am learning to create a positive around that. But when I wake up in the morning, a thought is always there. I wonder if it's growing again. I wonder if it has spread anywhere. And I will get up and say out loud, you're alive today, make the most of it. And I, as a cancer survivor, or not, I think it's a really great practice because we just don't know. We just don't know. But I wish I had realized or known that going in that it was completely normal. And the more people I talk to who have survived cancer are like, oh yeah, I would spend 20 years for me. And I still wonder, it's like almost like you lose a little bit of trust in this body that carries you around because we're not our body or what lives inside, you know, it's just kind of the outward shell. And we, for me, I feel a little bit like it betrayed me and I'm not quite sure I trust it all the time as much as I used to. That is a great way to put it, that it betrayed you. And also this is very recent. It's been less than a year. I remember I interviewed this woman who had breast cancer Mm -hmm. and, and she felt 
very betrayed as well because she felt like she had done everything right and there was no genetic issue and she i mean she didn't use any kind of plastic she didn't even microwave her food she wouldn't allow a microwave in her (laughs) house and she thought she was living in such a quote-unquote clean way yes she felt the same way. She's like, wait, I did everything right. Yeah. Why is this happening? Yes. Yeah. You know? and, and, and so that makes perfect sense to Thank me. You. It, Thanks. it really does. Um, yeah. And, and especially now knowing your genetic history, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. tell me about, uh, this is coming up your yeah. surgery to have your ovaries removed. Yes. Did they detect any cancer or is this just preventative? This is preventative. I had a hysterectomy in 2009, but they left my ovaries in because I was premenopausal and we didn't know about the Lynch syndrome. So they're going in to take them, which is normally a very easy surgery, but nobody knows where mine are. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh no. So it's just like, point, right? <laughs> we'll find them. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. I just, do they just free float now? I mean, what's going on in my body? There's so many missing pieces in there now. <laughs> but it's, it is totally preventative. Everything looks good. I've had like my cancer tested, the C reactive protein. Is that what it is? I'm not sure exactly of the medical terms, but all of my numbers are normal. So it is a hundred percent preventative, but again, it was my choice, but seeing my aunt and what she's gone in over, gone through for the last three years with ovarian cancer, I just, I have this knowledge now. And if I don't put it into practice, I feel like I'm being irresponsible to myself, to my family, to my friends, to the world, because I'm not ready to be done yet. If you had known what you know now about the Lynch syndrome, would you have had the ovaries removed when they did the hysterectomy? Absolutely. hundred percent. I've thought about that so many times. Really? So yeah, because I don't want another surgery. And, <laughs> and I think I've just, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I, every time I have a surgery, I mean, I've in the last couple of years, I've broken both wrists and, and they both needed to have surgery, you know, cause I, did a, did a Spartan race in the snow. And I just, cause I've done these things, you know, <laughs> and I was yeah, like, that one's on you. That was Spartan both, both of them were all on me, <laughs> but the hysterectomy in 2005, I donated the kidney to my dad. I'm just like, I don't want to do any more surgeries. I'm done. <laughs> so, yeah. So yes, I would have. And I realized it would have thrown me into menopause immediately. And that wouldn't have been fun. And so when I, Honestly, when I start to think about it, I will stop myself and say, okay, that's a what if. And what is, is that I didn't have them removed. And what is, is that I need to have them out now. And, and that kind of stops my brain from spiraling to, gosh, if I had only, it's easy to know what to do looking back, you know, 12 years ago. Now I have all this information. I didn't have it then. That's just the way it was. Yeah. And you, you can't change it, right? You can't change the past. No. Carrie, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? If I could do one thing, it would be to get everyone on something, some some kind of a share plan and to have that actually subsidized by the government the way that we do Medicaid. I've been on a share plan for about five years now, and it it has been amazing. And they have covered absolutely everything part I love about it the best. This is going to show you a kind of a 
that how kind of geeky I get out about human relationships. But <laughs> every month I get a little notification of who my share this month is going to, and I get to send them a get well card. And I've had developed some really cool relationships and friendships from that. And more than healthcare, it, it's about relationships. And I'm all about that. And I would love to see us have something like that for healthcare, where it's putting decisions back into the doctor's hands and taking it out of the insurance company's hands that a doctor says this is what you need and that's what you get to per that's what you get to pursue rather than an insurance company saying well no try these eight things first and in the meantime a disease is able to grow out of control because you have to take it in steps that not that a doctor or the medical community said is true or right but a, but an insurance company and I, I realize there's a lot around that and I don't know all of the inner workings, but it's so frustrating with my brother when they when the doctor would say we need an MRI and the insurance company would say, well, we need these four tests first, but he's got stage four colon cancer. Why <laughs> Can we just bypass these stupid tests and get to yes. the one that matters? <laughs> right. And so with, with the share plan that I moved to, it's this is what the doctor said I needed. And yes, it takes three months to get reimbursed, but the hospitals have been great in working with that. And it's been amazing. So if I could change one thing, that would be it. I am super intrigued. Can you explain for our viewers and our mm -hmm. listeners and our members, most of whom are cancer patients and caregivers, yeah. what is a share plan? And if you want one, how do you get it? So a share plan is, I pay monthly. I, I actually chose years ago when I joined up for it, when I joined into it, I chose a gold level and I pay a little bit extra every three months, it's like $50, so that I have no cap on what they will reimburse. And the way it works is, I'm actually working on one right now, the way that mine works is anything over $500, I hand into them with all of my paperwork. So if it's a doctor's visit that has blood work, involved with it, it's going to be over $500 that's out of pocket. Usually the hospitals and doctors will give me a 50% discount because they don't have to deal with insurance companies and they kind of hand it back to you. So I hand all of that into my share plan. I'm part of Christian healthcare ministries. There are many, there are secular, there are Christian ones there. If you search share plan on Google, it will bring up so many that you can start to, to investigate. But you hand that you hand all of those invoices from hospitals, from doctors, from blood work, whatever it is, in, and then to the to your share plan. They look at them and they process them, and then as the shares come in, so I'm paying along with the other eight hundred thousand people within this share plan, and that money is pulled. So if I'm the one who needs it this month, it comes however much I need comes to me, and then I pay the hospital or pay the doctor from that. So it's kind of like the Amish and the barn raising. Everybody comes together when somebody's barn burns down and they all go and help that one person. That's kind of the concept of it. So your money is actually going to a person. And then in the one that I'm involved in, I get to know every month where my share is going and I get to reach out to them and see how they're doing. And I have been able to request that mine goes to help cancer patients, which is pretty cool too, because it's another common connector. Okay, this is really cool. I mean, I might have to have you back and maybe someone from who runs that type of plan um, yeah. for a separate workshop because I'm racking my brain. I don't think one person has ever mentioned this to me, oh. ever. But what you're talking about is 
so interesting. It is. It is. You know, it's going to someone who needs it at the time, yes. like you said. Will you do me a favor? Um, yes. Will you send me uh, links to both of those yes. so I can put them in the notes? Because I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this. Yes, I mean, absolutely. So amazing. Thanks. All right, Carrie, are you ready? I'm ready. For the Thrive Rabbit Fire. You ready? Yeah, okay. I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Mm, Beach Boys. What is one word that best describes you? Energetic. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Amazing Grace. Any particular version? Mm, no, it can be any version. It's just what we sent off my brother, my mom, and my dad with. So oh I want goodness. that one too. Oh, how about the last meal you want to eat? Mm, lucky charms, but only the charm parts. <laughs> <laughs> the cereal. Are you talking about the marshmallow cereal? Oh, the marshmallows. Sugar? Yeah, I only want the marshmallows with 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 almond milk. That's all I want. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, so you can digest almond milk? Uh huh. Just not cow's milk. Mm -hmm. uh, the last person or people you want to see? My family, my husband, my kids. That's who I want to see. And the last words you will speak. I love you. That's that's beautiful. Thanks. I feel silly asking this next question, um, okay. but aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? I feel like you already gave us two amazing ones, but <laughs> if there's another one. And then I want you to tell us a little bit about your work as a coach and how people mm -hmm. can reach you. Cancer U is the best resource. And another okay, resource. I love you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say reach out to the American Cancer Society and the Lynch Syndrome Foundation if you think that that's part of your cancer journey too. They're both amazing. They've been an amazing resource for me. As a coach, you can find everything out about me on coachcarryv.com. All my social media links are there. I love to coach women on a journey. I have a few male clients now too, and it's been awesome. My heart is, is helping women step into their power. I do that. I do motivational speaking. I have another book coming out, just released a book recently. I'm writing a book now. Title of it is How Can I Help You Say Goodbye? And it's a journey through grief, saying goodbye to your loved ones. Those are my passions, speaking, teaching, writing, uh, just contact me. I'd love to talk to you. We will put links to that in the show notes, the workshop Thank notes you. and all that. So what does it mean to be, because now I'm just really curious, a forgiveness yeah. coach and what, what does that acronym REBT stand for? REBT is Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. So it is really taking the way that you react to something and just tweaking it sometimes a lot and sometimes just a little to help you step into your fullest potential. I did a, I did a certification on becoming a forgiveness coach because I realized that a lack of forgiveness in your life, whether it's for others or for yourself, whether you're offering it or receiving it, that unforgiveness in your life is the one thing that will keep you stuck more than any other. And I saw it in my own life. I saw it in my mother's life. And I just started on this journey of finding out 
how crucial it is or is it to have forgiveness in your life? And what I learned just blew my mind, the the diseases that we can bring upon ourselves when we start to let these old wounds fester and how do we then walk through it and let it go? So that's what that all, that's what that all is around. If you have any links to that specifically, please let me know. And I struggle with forgiveness. I can forgive anyone who's hurt me. That's not a problem. Maybe not Mm -hmm. in that moment, but I can do it. What I struggle the most with is when someone hurts someone I love. Uh, I really struggle with forgiveness because I'm, I'm sort of the protector type. And and that's, that's where I struggle the most Mm -hmm. is very specifically in that area. So that's why I wanted more clarification because it's really, really interesting. Carrie, it has been amazing talking to you and you you are energetic. I think that's a good word for you. (laughs) (laughs) And, but you, you, yeah, you just, you just kind of exude joy. I don't know if you you know that, but you do. That's what I try to do. Welcome. Thank you. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.